Welcome to the State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm in India. And we are your theory doctors. Welcome back. Hello. Hi. Hope everyone is okay. Hope everyone's safe and well wherever you are. Um, how are you, Hannah? I'm all right. Things, how are you? Fine. Things seem to be going okay in Scotland at the moment. At least it, it feels like... Things are slowly improving, and the ease of lockdown has not yet resulted in in a massive new spike. But it may there's well there's time. There's time, yeah. Um, around the world, things aren't good. Um, things aren't aren't good in the states. Things things aren't good in India. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm sure there. Are, I'm sure many of our listeners are in parts of the world where things remain very scary. Yep. Um, you know, all we can say is look after yourselves and, and those around you as much as you can. Uh, wear masks if you're going out. Uh, but I, I, I don't think our listeners need telling that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are we talking about today? Today, well, we're not talking about the pandemic. We haven't really ever spoken about the pandemic. No, we did one we episode did... in February or March about the about racism. Yeah, and we when we didn't know really what what this was, or, or very few people knew. Uh, yeah, so maybe what we was should coming. maybe we should go back to doing a uh, an episode about about lockdown experiences, but this is not that. No. Today we're talking about, so uh, we've we've wanted to do an episode on um, public gestures, particularly by politicians um, around supporting specifically Black Lives Matter at the moment. But the conversation, of course, will be more broad than that. Um, It's come up in our conversations a few times in recent weeks, um, kind of in different ways. So we're going to talk about some of the, the kind of British context where British politicians have engaged specifically with um, taking the knee and how they've conceptualized that or not. Um, But then we're also going to talk about the critical theory concepts around this. So we'll talk about um, kind of discourse and how, how uh, specifically Foucault talks about uh, texts and documents and uh, making meaning out of an archive, um, which there, there is an archive here. So we'll go back in time a little bit to talk about that archive. Um, and also this question of, of performance and performativity. It's a bugbear of mine because performativity is one of my favorite concepts in critical theory. Um, uh, my favorite iteration of it actually comes from anthropology in the 1970s, before Judith Butler very, very famously um, articulates the performativity and the performance of gender. Um, And 
I have noticed the increase in the use of the word performative um, to describe a particular type of political action, but it doesn't capture what the word actually means uh, in a critical theory context. So we're going to propose a different way of framing what we talk about today. Yeah, and we and and for for reasons of convenience and and relevance, I guess we are we are focusing on on the the the, the gesture, the performance, the performative, whatever, however you like to describe it. We are, we are going to suggest some some specific ways, uh, but but the taking of the knee, uh, yep. as as uh, in terms of its history, where it has come from, how it evolved in in the states, and then how. British politicians off a number of different, you know, on a number of different points in the spectrum, how they are negotiating this new and unfamiliar and foreign, within scare quotes, uh, way of (laughs) protesting racism, which by all accounts is a foreign problem, right? Britain has never faced any kind of racism ever. Um, Yeah, so that's also, there's a specter of that here where, Um, the debate about how British society needs to come to terms with its white supremacist past and its racist past and its central role in histories of enslavement um, and continued oppression of black communities around the Commonwealth and elsewhere is very, very different from the debate that takes place elsewhere in the world. Um, The United States discourse around taking the knee and around the Black Lives Matter movement, they're they're two sides of the same coin in this sense that ultimately we're talking about Black lives. And that is central to this. But this is one of the ways in which the U.S. and and the U.K. differ a lot. So what we're talking about really is the British context with a a few references to the American context that are key. So do you want to do a quick sort of potted history of what taking the knee means and where it's come from? Yeah. Well, so I am by no means an expert on civil rights history, Um, but... Since I'm the American here, um, I have, I will I will uh, do my very best. Um, taking the knee in its kind of contemporary uh, iteration comes from uh, a public prayer that Martin Luther King led as part of a protest in Alabama, Selma. Uh, and he led a group of, I think it was, it's a, it's a couple hundred protesters, maybe 250 protesters um, in a civil rights march. He led them in prayer and he led them in taking the knee. Uh, of course, for <laughs> our listeners should know this, but you never know. Um, he was a religious leader as well as a political leader. Um, so the entanglements between um, uh the black church in the United States and Christianity and civil rights is really important. So there is a religious element to uh, this particular gesture, um, which is really, really important. I think Uh, it, it became really popular on Twitter and it was a, a number of images have become kind of 
household images when a very famous quarterback in the NFL, a guy named Colin Kaepernick, he was playing for uh, the San Francisco 49ers, which is my home team. So, of course, we were quite proud of him um, because of what he's done in the Bay Area. Um, he, he started taking the knee during the national anthem uh, because <laughs> in the United States, for those who don't know, uh, my partner Tom always finds this really bizarre. They play the national anthem at the start of all sports games in the United States. And so when 49ers games would begin and they'd play the national anthem, Colin Kaepernick started taking the knee. And this was specifically in solidarity with uh, black people who are subject to police violence and police killing. So it was, it was directly referencing the Black Lives Matter movement, which... Uh, was a it started as a kind of twitter campaign to raise awareness using hashtags um so a a couple of black women activists created the black lives matter hashtag and colin kaepernick was calling attention specifically to the black lives matter movement um obviously i mean i hope that everyone knows this but if you don't colin kaepernick is a black guy um he identifies as a black young man and he's done a lot of work since these protests, he has a really effective NGO um, that works with young black kids in the Bay Area to teach them about their rights when it comes to encountering the police and encountering the state um, so that they can more effectively advocate for themselves and try and protect themselves. Um, it's, it's all really horrific, but it's also a really important moment, I think, in American cultural history. Um, the, the NFL is is an extremely powerful organization. Lots of money changes hands as part of the NFL. And it's a really, really high profile um, protest. So the images are, are really powerful actually, because um, Colin Kaepernick was, he was a really, he is, I mean, he still is a talented quarterback, but he was not known for publicly uh, advocating for any activist causes like he wasn't known for being an activist and, uh, and athlete and and athletes aren't generally known for that you know there are obvious examples and and uh we maybe maybe we can do another episode a, a, about this we've 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 talked about sports and politics in the past but generally speaking there aren't a huge list of athletes who use their um their athletic celebrity if you like celebrity to do with their sports in in an activist way in the way that Colin Kaepernick did and and continues to do yeah yeah it's a really I mean it's it's quite a remarkable story really He, he his contract wasn't renewed and he wasn't picked up by any other team so he was effectively blacklisted from the NFL he was at the start of his career and he'd come on this the kind of scene really quickly. He'd taken over from another quarterback um, in the middle of a season. He was really young. Um, it, it, people didn't really expect him to be as successful as quickly as he was. Um, he'd been in a Super Bowl. So the, the story here is a really interesting one. Um, and he knew going in what would happen to him, I think. I think he was fully aware of what he was doing. Um, and it's, I think that's quite a remarkable thing, which makes what British politicians do a few years later fascinating and kind of sickeningly funny. Yeah, so, in a really so kind of the, awful way. The, 
uh, taking the knee becomes th- there is, and we'll we'll do another another episode about moments. But the 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 Colin Kaepernick moment happens and then carries on for a little while, and then like often happens with with media stories, it sort of dies down. As you say, Colin Kaepernick loses his loses his career. He he can't carry on being a being an athlete, and then. In the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, when Black Lives Matter has a resurgence, sort of a global resurgence in many ways, um, this becomes this comes back as a as a as a gesture of protest. Um, uh, Justin Trudeau, the the Prime Minister of Canada, is is pictured taking a knee. Uh, uh, the leader of the opposition in Britain, Keir Starmer, and the deputy leader of of the Labour Party, Angela Rayner, bo- are both photographed taking the knee. Uh, and and it 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 becomes a thing again, where as as a way to demonstrate uh, solidarity with with uh, with black people, solidarity with black people, particularly uh, in terms of the the racist and violent uh, police oppression. Uh, this 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 again becomes a thing. And in that in this context, there are two specific British politicians and their responses that. Uh, that uh, have been noteworthy, I think. One is the the British Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab, who, in a quite a well publicised interview, uh, said that as as far as he knew, taking the knee came from Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you say to that? And and also the 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 more, in a sense, I mean, that's just either either actual or performative ignorance right it it there, there is a sense of in which ignorance can be performed as well right where he's he he is taking pride in not knowing because by by taking pride in not knowing he can signal to his supporters that this doesn't matter so whether it's actual or performative ignorance it, it, it's ignorance what was more interesting to me was he said there were only two situations in which he would take the knee one was when he asked his wife to marry him you know, cue heteronormative politics of of a particular kind there, and also for the Queen. So the, these were the only two people he'd take the knee for, his wife and the Queen. Um, and I guess <laughs> what's interesting to me is that they're in that reading, if we are going to take that reading seriously, um, it is a, a, only one particular reading of supplication, right? That's how it that's how that reading works, right? That for for a, a man, and there is a particular reading of masculinity here going on. For a man to to kneel down involves a uh, a deliberate abasement of of oneself, and there is no recognition. Whether, as I said, whether it's real or, or pretend, who, who knows or cares? But there is no recognition of how deliberate abasement in the face of um, state oppression can be a really powerful, radical, political act, right? And in, in the way that, you know, nonviolence uh, as a political strategy where you are allowing the forces of oppression to beat you up and you're not responding uh, yeah. also is a is a powerful, powerful, radical political act. Um, and then... A few days after that, uh, the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, uh, said that he wouldn't take the knee like his foreign secretary uh, because he didn't believe in gesture politics. 
he 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 wanted to make quote unquote real differences and 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 not just do a gesture which of course is undermining it from a from a different angle as it were both rab and johnson are undermining the act of taking the knee but they're doing it from from different perspectives one of one one is seeing uh the act of uh of uh, supplication as weak so you are demonstrating your weakness as a man by taking the knee and the other one uh from the other angle Boris Johnson is saying it is meaningless because it doesn't change anything is i think how how Johnson and Rabb read read the politics of taking the knee right yes both are ignorance yeah um willfully so probably i th- do you know what i think it is willful ignorance i don't th- i think it's sort of it's the way in which ignorance can be used as a a a, a a willful, deliberate, performed ignorance can be used as a dog whistle, right? Like this is, I am demonstrating to you that I don't know about this and therefore mm-hmm. I'm demonstrating to you that this is not important. This is not important enough for me to know. Yeah. Yeah. And the, especially with the Game of Thrones comment, the whatever my assumption is about what it is, the kind of random images and the random assumptions that I make about what it means are more important and more reliable than the facts, which are completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the the ability to say those things and, you know, continue to keep your job is it, it's fundamentally a, a position of privilege that allows people to, to say stuff like that. Yeah. But on the flip side, right. So you mentioned Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner who are uh, from many of our listeners who are not based in the UK are probably completely meaningless names. Um, you pro- I wouldn't necessarily have been able to pick out anybody in the labor party before I moved to the UK and even after. Um I mean, so, you, you, you knew Tony Blair. Oh, yeah, everyone knew Tony Blair. <laughs> and actually Gordon Brown as well. Yeah. But they were in power. Yeah. And the Labour Party hasn't been in power in a while. And Keir Starmer recently became the leader of the Labour Party. And his office put out this image. Um, we may or may not link to it. I don't know if we want to keep sharing it, but it's on the internet yeah um and it's a it it is a it's a really bland bog standard uh liberal politician liberal white politician you know pr statement yeah so so for those of you who haven't seen the image there is a a long table in a uh in which which looks like a like a british governmental table i mean these are opposition uh parties that this is it is it isn't the government but you have the sort of parliamentary colors if you like of of uh the green house of commons colors and on one side of the table you have Keir Starmer who's the leader of the party on the other side of the table you have Angela Rayner who's the deputy leader and they're both kneeling and it's quite a low angle shot so the camera has moved down uh, almost to the eye level of of these two kneeling politicians and then this gets circulated as an example of how um how the labor party is 
demonstrating to its supporters that it is on the side of black lives matter as it were but equally i think it one of the other things that the the um uh photo is doing is to demonstrate that uh starmer and rainer sympathize supposedly with the cause and are going to kneel but they're going to kneel indoors and not going to join any rallies because the rallies are portrayed as irresponsible at a time of coronavirus. So I think there's something else happening there in terms of the social distancing and the isolation. So you have these two figures on different sides of a of a substantial table. So they're isolating from each other and they're demonstrating their support, but they're not joining in, as it were. Yeah. And it does, the image itself is also, you can tell it's crafted um, with the earlier images of uh, Colin Kaepernick and other players, right? Because p- other players joined his protest um, because some of those images were were also composed in a similar way. The camera was down um, at the level of or even below Colin Kaepernick. Um, so th- the photographer knew what they were doing um, in composing this photo. It It directly recalls images of others taking the knee. Um, But it does not recall, as you've pointed out, the images that were circulating at the time and still are circulating because these protests are ongoing of protesters at Black Lives Matter protests taking the knee, Um, which is a very, very different image. And and roughly around the same time, Starmer came out and said that you know, he he wouldn't he he didn't think there should have been a statue of a slave slave owner in in Bristol, Edward Colston, but that he didn't he couldn't support the taking down of the statue. So you have a a very sort of centrist white liberal narrative that is that is being constructed that uh, pays lip service to the to the movement, but is scared of being of appearing too radical. Yeah. And I guess that's yeah. where the the gesture politics come come in, right? That's 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 what we are, are hoping to get to in 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 this episode, where you know, and I'll I'll speak on on you know on my behalf in in terms of my own reaction. Um, when when Starmer and and Rayner released that picture, I I looked at it and went, you know, what a pointless gesture, you know, what what does this 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 doesn't do anything. And then when Boris Johnson made apparently the same point about taking the knees a gesture that doesn't do anything, my immediate reaction was, yeah, of course he's going to say that because he doesn't want to support the movement. So I guess the overarching question I'm left with is, what is the difference between gesture and substance? Right? Mm-hmm. I can see it when I, I... I know it when I see it, as it were. Uh, so when uh, a corporate institution like a university for example uh on its social media releases a black square as a as a gesture i know that gesture isn't backed up by substance but when boris johnson says he doesn't want to do a meaningless gesture i also know that that is not his problem the the problem isn't the problem for with taking the knee for boris johnson isn't that it's a meaningless gesture it's that it is a gesture full of meaning and it's the meaning it is precisely the meaning that he doesn't want to convey yeah yeah so what is the difference between the labor party's response and the conservative party's response here because there is a difference there is a difference but the difference isn't 
it can't be explained by saying the gestures are meaningless. It's not a good enough explanation. No, the the and and the difference is that the Labour Party is doing the the gesture uh, because it is um, because they are they think it is. Um, how can I phrase this? They they are aware that taking the knee is a radical action, and they want to show support, but they're scared of uh, losing white working class support. The Tories, on the other hand, see it as a as a meaningful gesture, and they don't want to do it because they don't think Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and they know on the spectrum, a lot of the people who now support the Conservatives really don't think black lives matter yeah like on the spectrum of racism there is a a a sizable constituency that is violently opposed to black people living their lives and and this is where the performative element comes in right because i think i mean for me anyway maybe you disagree but for me the the big problem with the way the word performative has has been co-opted by people on on our side as it were right we we don't necessarily disagree with the criticism of um the the hypocrisy when it's we do agree with we, it we agree fact. with the hypocrisy but yeah. i think my issue is that the the word performative is being connect, is being equated to the word meaningless i think yes but and, and we we very specifically don't think it's meaningless. We just think it's a different kind of meaning, right? Yes. So do you want to give a, a quick sort of overview of performative and where it comes from and, and how it's being used here? Yeah. Well, I think the mo- from our listeners who are already familiar with critical theory um, will be most familiar with Judith Butler's take on performance and performativity. And Judith Butler is a, for those who don't know, a little bit of background, Judith Butler is a very, very famous gender studies and feminist scholar. Um, Her early work, she was writing in the 80s. Um, So she comes out of that same moment that we talk about a lot. And in the late 80s, she published a paper in a theater journal um, that articulated how gender identity is a performance um, in the kind of hardcore theater sense that people perform their gender on the stage that is society and on the stage that is public space and also private space. And your gender identity is made through the performance. So you are reflecting, you're performing kind of mirror images and you're reflecting back the way that um, cultural representation and society tell you your performance should look. But you also, in the process of performing your identity, make your identity. And so it is fluid in the sense that it can change because you have some control over the way that you perform your identity. But at the same time, you are also creating gestures, you're creating um, actions, you're creating speech acts that create a kind of discursive arena. And this comes from Foucault, and she's directly influenced by Foucault, a discursive arena in which 
all the kind of mix of possibilities of speech acts and and um, gestures and physical performance and dress work together to create what we think of as woman yes or man and and it's not it's not that you wake up in every morning and you go okay today i'm going to perform my my manhood in in this this way it's more subtle it's more it's it's more constitutive than that right you you are who you are through the way you perform and yeah and butler is um butler uses this specifically for gender but we can widen it out to identity in general right the we 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 become who we are through these repeated sets of performances and repetition is really important in butler's argument right that it's not a not a standalone performance it's a a, a set of repeated repeated quotable citable uh uh generalized acts language speech dress behavior gestures all of those things and um i think one of the things that is important for me in terms of butler's argument about performativity is for her there is no alternative authentic sense of gender outside of these performances it's the it's the performative that makes the makes the makes the identity and and i guess this is where i my, i have a problem with the the use of performative as as a as a synonym for inauthentic yes because that is precisely not butler's argument uh that the the, the idea of there being an, another form of authentic response to to the world uh that is distinct from the one's performance is precisely contradicting butler's argument i think right yes yes exactly that um performativity is about creating meaning yeah and and performances communicate meaning yeah and to use performativity as a way of saying superficial or meaningless um or hypocritical is i think to take a because it's difficult to describe that superficiality that meaningless gesture it's yeah. difficult to have a word to attach to that type of activity and performativity is quite a nice piece of jargon because it isn't too difficult you know it's not like interpolation for example yeah. which is a totally meaningless word unless someone tells you what it means yeah. whereas performativity is a a word that we can all kind of get on board with that we have some kind of reference for what it might mean. Yeah. And so it's easily appropriated I think to mean something different which of course means that it loses its its critical emphasis its critical oomph yeah. when we want to mobilize it to talk about Dominic Robb's performative ignorance which is is not devoid of meaning it is in fact extremely meaningful. Yeah. And we've had conversations about his about the reference to fantasy and science fiction and yeah. and how there is a that is also a trend yeah. and a pattern yeah. Yeah. um and and so for us to lose the word performativity 
is dangerous yes. because it means that we lose a powerful term yeah. that we can mobilize to explain the world. Yeah. And we have this conversation. There's other words as well, other terms. I think self-care yeah. is even more dangerous. Yes. yes. <laughs> Capitalism's appropriation of the of the term self-care. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a mani petty is yeah. is not self-care unless it is explicitly helping you to tackle the white supremacist. I mean, heteronormative patriarchal capitalist system. You I know? mean, feminism, right? I mean, that's yeah. another term. Like we, the way the way capitalism has taken on feminism to mean choosing what kind of things to consume. Yeah, I mean that that's that we you you mentioned Stuart Hall, Hall earlier on Stuart Hall's famous line about it, words being evacuated of meaning. This is yeah. you can see in real time the word performative starting to lose its meaning. Uh, or, or starting to shift its meaning in terms of, uh, I- in ways in which the the real critical radical potential that it has is being lost. Um, I was thinking uh, of of another sort of American football story. Um, I'm not going to name the name. Our listeners may or may not know, but there is a particular team in Washington, which has a particularly racially sensitive, insensitive name. Uh, And they've just announced that they're going to drop the name and the logo. Um, And what's, what's interesting to me about that. And, and that is a, that is the perfect gesture, which can be labeled performative in this, you know, wrong use of the word performative, right? Because it does nothing to, challenge any power structures or, or, or any any of or any 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 quote unquote meaningful change. But what what's so revealing to me is the fine I mean the the there's been demands for decades, right, that that team should change its name. Yeah. Um what finally made the difference in this moment was sponsors saying that you need to change your name. Yeah. Right? So unless the when a corporate institution decides to put a a black square on its social media, it may be hypocritical, but it's not meaningless. The, yeah. What it means is that that corporate institution has recognized that it it stands to lose money by not appearing to support Black Lives Matter, than it stands to and and it stands to gain money by appearing to be not racist. Now we can have a discussion about whether or not that form of gesture will lead to that company being less racist in its employment practices. That is an important discussion to have. But if we simply reject or or dismiss the gesture as performative and therefore inauthentic and hypocritical, we lose the critical tools that we need in order to be able to point to the power structures and power relations that mean that that lead to that decision of putting a black square on one social media profile right yes so what word would we suggest well are we suggesting the word gesture yeah because it leaves open it, it so it leaves open a, a conversation because you have to qualify gesture it doesn't just stand for uh, it doesn't stand for a superficial or hypocritical or insincere or empty or meaningless act. You have to say this is one of those things. 
And so it leads to more clarity about what it is that you're talking about. And it allows us to specify um, the difference between Boris Johnson saying, it's a meaningless gesture, I prefer real change, and the Labour Party leadership gesturing to a certain type of support for Black Lives Matter, but not another type of support for Black Lives Matter. It forces us, it forces us to contextualize what it is we're talking about, which is, as academics, what we're in the business of doing. Because for us to make a claim that is a truth claim, you know, we don't have universal truths, but we do have truths that are rooted in evidence and empiricism and observation and testing and reading something through a a critical or theoretical lens that allow us to make claims that are robust, that type of specificity is really important. So when Dominic Robb says, taking the knees from Game of Thrones, a host of academics appear, academics and activists together appear on the internet to say, no, these are all the the cultural referent points that he has willingly and and strategically missed. And those go back not just to Martin Luther King, but to a much older archive about abolition and histories of enslavement. And I think when we use jargon poorly, it allows us to do the opposite of what the jargon is designed to do, which is it's meant to give us specificity. But what it actually does is it allows us to hide behind vagaries and to avoid having to go deeper into a critique that is perhaps more difficult, but also perhaps more painful for us. Yeah. And, and, it, and it allows us to precisely make those kinds of specific criticism without resorting to empty words such as inauthentic right like yeah. the, if, if anything Rob and Johnson were being specifically authentic in their response right they were you know to, to use the commonsensical definition of the word authentic I mean they were they knew exactly what they were doing and why they were doing it um, and to dismiss what they're saying as inauthentic reminds me a little bit of, in a in a slightly different context, of the standard uncritical liberal response to Trump that he's stupid. You know, he he may yeah. be stupid. I don't know. To be honest, I don't really care. Um, that's the the important thing about Trump, and the dangerous thing about Trump is not whether he's intelligent or stupid. It's the the positions he holds and the decisions he makes and the effects that has on people's lives and people's deaths, right? Like the to, that that kind of criticism, that kind of analysis needs specific jargon. It needs specific yeah. terms used correctly, um, and it needs it 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 brings a level of responsibility to those of us who like to think that our job is analysis it 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 
brings the responsibility on us to to a use the jargon correctly and to and b to explain the jargon when we use it right like that yes uh the 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 point of using words like performative or or interpolation is not to create barriers so that quote unquote ordinary people don't understand it's that those it's to make the case that these words have specific meanings they exist for specific reasons those reasons can be explained and should be explained but we are not using long difficult words for the sake of it we are using yes. them for very specific purposes yes and i think you and i uh, have a long history of rolling our eyes at the use of jargon for the sake of using jargon yes um it's not something that we think is good politics no. for academics. No. But at the same time, yeah. I think too, right? If, if what you're saying doesn't need jargon and jargon will make what you're saying less specific. Yes. Use the normal word. Yeah. I mean, it's, I was just on Twitter now yeah. and uh, there was a whole, de- a whole really interesting, quite friendly funny debate about um, a computer science and technology and media scholar who really gets annoyed at, the, at using the word praxis. Yeah. Why, why use praxis when what you're talking about is practice? Yes. Yes. It's one of my favorite examples. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's probably a good enough point to stop. Yeah. I think I do think I mean it's really important because the first time I saw the word performative used, I yeah. completely 100% agreed yeah with the usage now because it was about this really really problematic and dangerous practice that police officers were using at protests. Yes where police officers were be, were sharing images of themselves and other people were sharing images of police officers kneeling in solidarity. I'm using scare quotes yeah. in solidarity with black lives matter protesters. Yes. But then there were other images taken 30 minutes, 45 minutes later of those same police officers, either giving permission for their officers or they themselves using force against those same protesters. And what what's happening to me, it, or not to me, what's happening in my mind is, yes, this is a, you have, we have to be calling this shit out because it's, yeah. it's outrageous and horrible and, yes. and absolutely needs to be called yes. the terrible things that it yes. is. Yes. But the word performativity, it, I don't Isn't think it's this. that word. No, it's not that word. And, you know, we can talk about gesture, we can talk about, and, you know, let's, let's use words that are more easily understandable when, when those words fit better. Hypocrisy. We know what hypocrisy means, right? So let's, let's call, let's, if anything, our criticism would be sharper if we, if we, if we called out hypocrisy and falsehood for what they are, as opposed to losing the the important critical potential that certain words have yes yeah okay that's our our rant over i think (laughs) (laughs) um i hope that was of interest um we've we've been doing a, a number of episodes on race i've realized this wasn't really planned as a 
as a series i don't think but from from the the last four episodes or whatever since we came back in the middle of the pandemic have all been about race and and i think we've got one or two more to come uh so so this is it's it's retrospectively becoming a kind of race focused um mini series but i think that says more about the the time we're living in than anything else yeah and of course the podcast reflects the conversations that we have and Absolutely. these are the kind of conversations yeah. we're having right now yeah um hope that was of interest uh let us know what you think um give what us words more ex- would you use yeah i'll give us more examples of words used used badly um <laughs> look after yourselves stay safe wherever you are follow follow your rules and in, in as they apply to you uh and we will see you next time bye bye we hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichaudhvi. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our show is on Facebook at State of the Theory Podcast and on Twitter at Theory Doctors. Our music is provided by the Agrarians and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Where would we go?